welcome to On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Edition 2, we are still unbeaten. My name is Michael Bailey, I am The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent and every week I will host this Canaries chat with a rotating panel of guests, but more prominently, my friendly regulars propping up the On The Ball bar and dizzy on Canary cocktails. Uh, For you this week, how many points did Norwich really drop in their Carrow Road draw with Arsenal. We hear from no fewer than four familiar Norwich City names, as well as our first Hodge spot. Oh, yes. Uh, just how important are the next two games and how positive are you allowed to be about the annual general meeting? And we will do all of this with two voices that will be regular fixtures on the pod throughout this season. Former City Press Officer, official title Ben Mounser, and the man known as at NCFC Numbers on Twitter. It's Norwich City Stats Guru, official title TM, Steve Sanders. Gentlemen. How are we? Hey, Steve. Michael. Hello, Ben. Hello. Two, two pods on the trot. That's lovely. I know. On a hat trick. <laughs> that's very. That's very good. Are you needing to rotate, or your energy levels are? Right? I'm fine. You know, I've um, had a good preseason, so I'm I'm at peak fitness right now. It did go on for about six months, so you've done well there, Steve. Welcome. Thank you. Fresh, fresh off the bench. This is ex- this is exciting. I, I'm I'm extremely excited, <laughs> and and you're here, so that's even more exciting. So uh, this week uh, is week two, of course, of on the ball. I hope you enjoyed our opening edition last week, including our discussion on Norwich City's team of the decade. There are ten other shows that were also launched by the Athletic last week, including the Ornstein and Chapman show with Mark Chapman and the man who convinced me Unai Emery would never make it to Carrow Road, David Ornstein. Uh, There is also the excellent zonal marking show with the tactical wonder that is Michael Cox. What a lovely bloke he is too as well, by the way. Uh, To hear those and many more, go to theathletic.com now and subscribe with a 40% discount by using the code UKPOD. Uh, But we will go straight for uh, the pitch. Week one was a win at Goodison Park for Norwich City. Week two, should it have been a win too, gentlemen? Should it have been? I think um, with my neutral hat on, I think a draw was just about a fair result with my Norwich City hat on and looking at the chances that we missed in that five minute period in the second half. I feel like maybe we um, we should have should have won and maybe Arsenal were there for the taking as well. That's that's my I'm I'm a bit undecided, but I think um, it was a fair result is my summation. Yeah, it was a strange one, really, because I thought we were fortunate to be in front at half-time. I actually thought we played better in the second yep. half. We got in about Arsenal much more in the second half. Um, I do have some numbers on the, um, here, Steve. <laughs> on the first fine. and second half. So um, I did think Arsenal had an incredible number of touches in our box in the first half, and it was 37-8 to eight, um, in their favour. And then second half, we outnumbered them 21-16. So that kind of shows the shift in momentum. And actually, had the game gone on for another 10-15 minutes, well, there was only really one team at the end of that match who looked like winning it. Um, and I, I just felt like we pressed them a lot more. Um, the, the first, it felt like we didn't lay a glove on them. I don't know what you guys felt in, in the first few minutes. The yeah. first free kick was actually the one that led to the Arsenal goal um, of the entire game. And then it just we just started to get a bit more physical. And I think so, yeah. I mean, it was quite a slow tempo in that first half, wasn't it? I think, um, yeah, we, as the game wore on, Norwich just seemed to up their tempo. They mm. seemed to up their aggression. And the pressing point is an interesting one, I think. Actually, the, like the press in midfield, it was really interesting. Yeah. And we'll get, I'm sure we'll talk more about Kenny McLean's role in that and how Tribal and Amadou have license to press actually quite high up the pitch which I think is really interesting and, and you know more on that midfield dynamic in a bit I'm sure but yeah generally agree with Steve I think it was a 
Arsenal were the better team in the first half and we went in half-time ahead having taken our two chances and then obviously we didn't score in the second half but actually created no. better chances in the second half. And I, I know this isn't an Arsenal podcast but they, they looked so poor at the back and actually, you know, the, the chances we created were from us playing well but also from just... Yeah. From, I mean, the, the first the first goal... The first goal, <laughs> the first goal was an abomination, really. Is. I don't know if David Luiz and Shikodrin Mustafi like, felt really sorry for Puki having not scored in a few games. <laughs> but they, they, I mean, they, they would have given him all the time in the world to score that goal, I think, and actually, you know... Good for Pookie to be given that time to get to yeah. his mini goal drought as well. I think it's interesting because going into this game, um, obviously after Unai Emery was sacked on Friday, I think a lot of Nor- Norwich fans were a bit sceptical about too. a new manager mm-hmm. bounce. Um, Arsenal, I think, hadn't won in seven games, which hadn't happened since 1992. So in the more than 1,200 games that Arsene Wenger managed, they hadn't That's gone amazing. a seven-game period without winning. So they were in terrible form going into this game. Obviously, Freddie Lundberg had pretty much no time to work on any plans, any new plans that he wanted to implement. I think, um, obviously, they played... Emery was sacked on the Friday. They then, obviously, had a session Friday, which would have been unplanned from Lundberg's point of view. And then Saturday... Um, session and then they travelled to Norwich. So Lundberg, my point is Lundberg didn't have much time to implement anything that he wanted and actually thought, and I've seen a few um, Arsenal commentators who are more, much more in the know about them than I was, that their team selection was quite strange. <laughs> Bringing back Mustafi as his first Premier League appearance of the season, reintroducing the um, darling of the Arsenal fans, Granite Xhaka, <laughs> into the starting <laughs> eleven. So actually, um, obviously when Emery was sacked, people felt a bit apprehensive, but I was fairly confident when I saw Arsenal's team sheet that mm. Norwich were um, had a good chance of getting something from this game. I just thought it wasn't really about the time that he would have to work on them. It was about the mentality and about how many players who were clearly unhappy with how it was going with Emery would would, would suddenly sort of shrug their shoulders and go, ah, I feel a bit better about this now. But I mean, it was interesting speaking to some of the people before the game around Norwich who were like, yeah, but you have to bear in mind that there'd have been some players there who would have been genuinely disappointed yeah. that Emery um, just, would have gone. Just to make a quick point on that, actually, um, I had a little look at some of the managers who have made their career, or not career starts, but have, have managed the first game of a spell at Carrow Road. There have been some real shockers, actually. Fantastic. Uh, John Eustace last year came in at QPR. Oh, yeah. That was a 4-0 defeat. Yeah. There's um, no bounce there. No. <laughs> the cat was dead and that was it. Yeah, I mean, this is not, uh, we're not talking about Arsenal here, by the way, so it is slightly different. Um, Paul Merson's first game for Walsall, anyone remember that one? 5 yeah, 0. Yeah. And then um, Alan Nill's first game at Scunthorpe was the one where Jackson and Holt both got hat tricks. That was a 6 0 defeat. So Two of those in promotion seasons then. Yes, yeah, very true. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you can look at those teams and say, oh, therefore, Arsenal were never going to win. We are talking about Walsall. <laughs> I'm sure Freddie Lungbo was, was um, agonising about Alan Nils. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a big Nil fan. <laughs> Aren't we all? Actually, there is a great piece of Alan Nil on The Athletic. Yes, oh, he's part of Chris Wilder's backroom team. He is. Wow. He's an assistant yeah. coach, so he'll be yeah. at Carrow Road next weekend. What a brilliant segue yeah. that was. Well, yeah. thanks. That's my memory. That's why um, you do this. It's a brilliant brilliant piece talking about his one international appearance where I think he had he claims he had Marco Van Basten in his pocket (laughs) so definitely read that because it's fantastic uh Tamo Pukki's movement by the way for his goal did kind of deserve the goal in itself because he kind of gave one run then came right back across the goal and and actually with Cantwell's goal his movement was crucial as well his movement was very crucial but also he lost his footing now I don't know if he lost his footing because he was like oh I better stop because Todd's going to come into that space or he lost his footing and that then allowed the space for Todd Um, either way or other um, thank goodness he lost his footing so uh, (laughs) there we go I mean I thought Kenny as you mentioned Ben in terms of the pressing we could probably talk a little bit about that because um, I thought Kenny looked he was my man of the match having watched the game and then as I looked through all the stats he didn't really 
shine anywhere in particular which i was like well that's that's unusual because for me he was everywhere he was energetic kind of lucky not to be sent off i thought as well yeah. and and it was norwich's pressing was really aggressive there was a couple of moments in the first half where they were proper cupping them into a space of about 20 yards obviously arsenal are still good enough to break that press if they can and norwich did a good job of recovering that situation but it was really aggressive i haven't really seen them be that tight and aggressive and obviously kenny's a key, key part of that absolutely i think the way kenny mclean is um he's played in this number 10 role or however you want to describe the role he's playing at the moment actually allows Norwich to be more combative in midfield because if you have a Marco Steeperman whose natural position is a lot higher up the pitch than McLean then the two holding midfielders will naturally want to um, be a bit more reserved in that press I think just the combination of those three in midfield is working really well I came away from that game thinking there's going to be some good McLean stuff out of this yeah. he played so so and it wasn't really but it was almost something it's almost how, how he how he liberates the rest of the team yes. as well in that role because he's almost exactly. playing the role of two players yeah precisely well, I just thought he led by example yeah. and, and he looked like a player who was just in a zone he, he was just uh, he, he looked confident and I, that's exactly what Norwich need at the moment is somebody that kind of can step up and say and I absolutely love it when players do this step up another step up to a harder level and then the performances get better I think kind of Damien Francis was a bit like that when we went up in 2004 um, and Kenny's kind of been that player for us this season. When you think, like, you mentioned Steeperman, but also is not in the team at the moment, and Leitner. Um, so not only is he having to do that kind of the, the tough work in midfield, but he's also now the set-piece taker. So he's really kind of, in the last couple of games, taken on this mantle for us. Which is great, because I have to say, only probably a few weeks ago, I was looking at Kenny playing, and I was just thinking, where's this left foot? This guy was supposed to be, you know, so... I had both have this really cultured left foot. And obviously, we saw bits of it last year, but it was just like I'm not seeing that now. And I guess the way he's he's altering Norwich's shape probably probably slightly more towards a four three three in a way because it's allowed he is now having three options yeah. ahead of him rather than as you say, Steeperman was kind of even though Kenny is playing quite close to Timu and, he and is, making but he's sure he's also playing deep as well exactly. because he's covering so much ground and, and that that's why he's been so effective. Was, was, it was his surge for the second goal, wasn't it? Where yeah. I can't yep. remember who he burst past, but and it, it, to me yep. that was almost better than his contribution for the first goal because that's the kind of bravery which Norwich just haven't quite shown at this level so far and just that that made the goal really should he have been sent off I'm surprised they didn't make more of it on the television coverage mm. I mean they didn't I, even I mention it but I've, you know I've seen it before seen it given Michael yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I, I don't know he's obviously been given a yellow and I don't know if sometimes they're given a yellow and you either wait to do that or maybe VAR goes well, okay you've given it a yellow so we're not going to overturn it it but. was in front of where I sat and I was sitting there thinking they're going to overturn this they're going to overturn this they're going to overturn it and uh, VAR having been used extensively about five minutes before and I was a little bit surprised that they didn't actually I was convinced he was going to go so there we go uh, one thing I'm just going to add in by the way um, that was of course Timu Pukki's first goal in 773 minutes and 18 shots so that's uh, good going uh, now if you check out The Athletic you can read my rap of how Norwich City ignored the noise against Arsenal, both collectively and individually. It's making me sort of cringe. Uh, let's hear now, though, uh, from Timmy Pookie, but first of all, Kenny McLean. Kenny, what's it like being um, a footballer and a dad at the same time? Is it... It's tough, it's tough. <laughs> um, but I think I'm doing OK with a lack of sleep right now, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's changed my life, really, but for the better. So yeah, I think you appreciate things more and... You know, right now I'm just enjoying on and off the pitch. Just talking about VAR, I mean, you guys did um, seem to regain your composure quite quickly after what must have been a really frustrating moment. Can, can you talk me through how, how you guys did that? Because it probably would have been harder a few games ago, I wonder. Yeah, 
I think because we knew there was still so much to play and there was still so much to gain in the game that you, you can't you can't lose focus for a minute when you're playing a team like Arsenal. You know if you if you switch off, if you show that frustration for too long, then they'll punish you. So we we could have quickly found ourselves behind, but fortunately for us, we, we stuck together. You know, decision went against us, wasn't ideal, but we just need to go on with that. As I say, VR has not not went in our favour today, but hopefully further down the line it will. Just one for me, Timu. Having Kenny closer to you in the last few games has that made a big big difference for you? Yeah, I would say so. Kenny has been playing uh, really well in both games and. and and yeah, he's trying to look a lot, a lot my movements and, and trying to pass me. And today, today in Everton, he he misplaced those passes, but now now it came came to me. So so yeah, but for me, it's really lovely to play with Kenny. He's a good good player, so I enjoy. He's not doing too bad for a new dad with little sleep either, is he? <laughs> yeah, I think he had a couple three days, so he he slept really good before game. I think that's that's what he saw today. Gents, are we any more desperate to talk about VAR and the penalty shenanigans? Anyone really want to get stuck into it? I think Steve might have a rant prepared. Can, do, 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 can, I, can I just make one point absolutely. on it? And, and it's, not, it's not the standard, because, I, I mean, I, I hate it and have, always have done. But my, my point on this is that the penalty was given on 23 minutes, 36 seconds. Uh, the second penalty was scored on 28 minutes and four. So that's four and a half minutes, right? Two goals were scored before injury time in the first half so that's 30 seconds for each goal so that's another minute that's five and a half Genduzi went down injured for another minute that's say six and a half how many minutes did we get at the end of the half three, three. now regardless whether you like it or not we're, we're being cheated <laughs> cheated's maybe a bit strong but we're, we're losing time out of a football match because we're just sitting around waiting for VAR it, I think that when we talk about VAR, I mean, we're going to talk about it. I mean, let's be honest. This is, even if this doesn't make the final edit, I think that there, <laughs> there are there are always um, there's there's sort of the, the two arguments. One is the law being applied, and I think in this case, even though Farker made the point afterwards that Max Aaron's actually no part of his body was touching inside the penalty area. Obviously, his body was leaning inside yeah, the penalty yeah. area. Irrelevant. Irrelevant, is it? Yeah. Okay. No, as as in to Daniel's. Daniel's wrong. All right. Okay. So if it, right. any part of the body is in the area because yeah, you're in the area right, it doesn't so matter you... what's contacting the floor right. it's you're encroaching okay. into the area in the same way if the ball crosses the line in the air as opposed yeah. to on the ground so as far as i can tell the, de- the decision was the correct one uh, the, the decision is 100 percent correct but yeah. not solely because but, he's encroaching it's because he's cleared the ball uh, yeah no because that's, that's he's become is. active in the yeah. play so that but and if he hadn't have cleared it the it would have the, the original penalty would have, would have stood, would have which stood. is a shame because Amadou was literally next to him yeah. and would have cleared it. Yeah. But obviously Max doesn't know he's encroaching. No, so. I have to say the referee did in in his defence. I could see him before the first penalty was taken. He was telling players at length, yeah, "You must was. stay behind yeah. the line." And the commentator on match today as well actually said he is okay. talking to the players about encroachment. And the other point I'll make on that same side as Amadou and Aaron's, there are two Arsenal players. I think David Luiz is one mm. of them, or that could have been Grandusi. Mm. Um, they don't move. <laughs> they are stood upright and they don't chase in the ball, which you could say is really slack. Yeah. but literally they are not encroaching because they've listened to what the referee said and the two Norwich players are bouncing in So, but and all, all the players are warned about this particular rule before the season so I, yeah. I guess mm. there are really no excuses but I think and the, the other point I was trying to make is and the other argument you hear against VAR is the one Steve is hinting at where it's it's just a wider philosophical point about how we watch the, the beautiful game that we all enjoy so much and whether this in its current format is ruining that spectacle let's get the referees talking to us Go full American, full NFL. <laughs> no, I, I honestly round the ground. Yeah, I want, I want, I want Mike Dean stood in front of us all, going, "Everyone, I've done this. Just do it. It'll be fun." 
Anyway, I think that's enough VAR chat, isn't it? Because I, I think it's so. going to come up again. Now, this is exciting. Uh, last week, we had the voice of Norwich City in BBC Radio Norfolk commentator Chris Gorham. This week, it's the Scottish voice of Norwich City commentator and journalist Stuart Hodge, who you will have heard on the highlights um, back in the day, of course. Uh, and he will, in fact, be a regular feature on on the ball uh, from his hideout north of the border wherever that is, or London, <laughs> one or the other. Um, so uh, hopefully he'll be uh, on in person over the course of the season, but more often than that, he'll be uh, musing and posing in equal measure, I'm sure he'll like that, in a segment we have dubbed Hodgespot. Cue Stu. Hello, lads. Delighted to be part of the On The Ball crew and to have my very own Hodgespot. How special is that? Now, I'm going to start my tenure of this segment by speaking about Sam Byram and the potential benefits of inverted wing-backery. Now, when Sam Byram came to the club and was given the number three, that kind of grated on me a wee bit because I thought, that's normally the reserve of the left-back. We've got a perfectly good left-back in Jamal Lewis and Sam Byram's, well, to my knowledge, never played anywhere except in the right-hand side, really. So I thought, why are we doing that? And then when Daniel Farka put him in the team there, I thought, hmm, could this work? And what I've found is it gives Norwich City a bit of a different dynamic because with Jamal Lewis in there, we're, we've got a left-back whose natural inclination is maybe to bomb on. Obviously, he's a bit more defensive-minded than Max, but he's always going to be looking to stretch the game on the outside. Whereas with Sam Byram, he's obviously predominantly right-footed, so he's going to be more prone to coming in on his right foot. And what that does is that creates a few more midfield combinations for Norwich City. And I think that's helped. It really has, because the midfield's felt a bit more elastic bandy, for want of a better way of putting it, in that it's, it's coming in field, and then once you've got the combinations happening in the middle, then stretching it. And then on the defensive side, we see a lot of the inverted forward type play now, where you'll play someone whose main inclination is to cut in side onto a stronger left foot playing off the right-hand side, for example. Or in the Premier League, you've often got players that can go both inside and out. And I think having Sam Byram in there defensively as well gives us a bit more of an element where we can tuck in and be a bit more compact. So I'd be interested to note the panel's views on the benefits of having Sam Byram in the team. And in no way is this a slight on Jamal. I'm just wondering if it gives us maybe a different option. What do you guys think? I personally am delighted that uh, Daniel Farker stuck with Sam Byram. And I, th- I thought he was probably better actually on sa- on Sunday than he was at Goodison Park when he was pretty good as well. Is it? Are we genuinely looking at a, a new option and... Something that might, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think we genuinely are. It's the first time that Fark has chosen not to play one of that back four, uh, Lewis Zimmerman, Godfrey Aaron's, uh, since Godfrey made his debut back in November 2018. So, I mean, I suppose you know, Lewis was injured, so but it's a, it's still a show of faith in his performance. And you know, in the same way that McLean didn't have the numbers, Byron did. He won, uh, he was joint top for blocks for us, uh, won the most headers, he had the most touches. Um, obviously, that only tells part of the story. I just thought he looked really solid in what wasn't his natural position. I'm delighted for him, actually, because he's somebody who I've always rated and hasn't really had that much of a chance. I, or, you know, just seems to have had a lot of bad luck with injuries. Um, but he looks at home in our team, which 
You can't say for all of our new players. <laughs> no, I, I remember his um, performance against Manchester City when he stepped in there, mm. and I think he brought the same qualities to this match as well. Where he's, I think you know the stats showed it there, Steve. But really strong in the tackle, re- re- reads the game really well, makes good blocks positionally is really good. And I think it actually, and Stuart mentioned it in the clip that we just heard there. It it gives us balance not only in defence but in the way we move forward as well. He certainly looked to have grown in confidence going forward I thought he looked almost more at home in, in that in that part of it and I remember speaking to him at Goodison Park and him basically saying look I've barely played five games in a row for about two years so he's, he probably feels that he's still some way off any kind of full fitness so and actually with him as a more narrow left back Hernandez playing as in his, as he naturally does a, a wider sort of left winger yeah. role balances nicely with the sort of inversion of that on the right hand side where you have Todd Cantwell coming in and Max Aaron's hugging the line. So I, th- I think it gives Norwich just more um, more options, a bit more dynamism. Uh, not not saying Jamal Lewis, who was in my team of the decade, of course, <laughs> was, um, <laughs> has done anything wrong in particular. And I was singing his praises, singing his praises last week. But it's interesting how s- you, you fall upon a solution when maybe you wouldn't have uh, expected. And, and I think he needed it, just a little bit of time out of the team as well. Jamal, he's been absolutely brilliant up to this point, as you say, Ben. But um, I, th- I think... It, it, it was just maybe that Watford game was the worst he's played in a while and maybe that injury and that break's not the worst thing to and you know we've, we've seen what effect a little break had on has had on Todd Cantwell and maybe Jamal Lewis might step back in in a couple yeah. of games and and um, start playing really well again yeah now uh, this is a huge week coming up by the way uh, Norwich of course at Southampton on a Wednesday night and then it's Sheffield United at Carrow Road on Sunday afternoon I mean these were probably supposed to be big games at the start of the season but they're very different now so just in terms of Southampton are we happy they've got their first win at home under their belt um yes I am actually agreed no I'm a pragmatist it's all going to be that you know (laughs) well you know they've won they've won their most recent game their first home win of the season the first home win is April um so I think that's only a good thing thing for them right I I think we could have been looking at Hasen Hüttel going and yeah. rather than Sanchez Flores had they lost that though I mean maybe the draw would have been the best thing <laughs> that's what we agree <laughs> on but I, th- I think he, he could have gone and well I don't know as we say new manager doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean a bounce I guess but. it's true uh, and Sheffield United are, are they really that good now I, I, the people watching them regularly I must confess I'm not one of them have sort of said um, you know yeah they're as fun to watch as anyone in the division um, I, I, I think they are that good actually I, d- I don't you know they've given everybody they've played a game and I actually really like Chris Wilder's approach to the season he hasn't um, he hasn't been spooked by the big teams and the, the sort of glamour of the Premier League he's really um, gone at it and made sure that his team are fully fighting for every single point yeah, and, and every single minute and every single match and I think they, they go about their business really well they, they pl- can play in different ways he doesn't, he d- yeah, but he has. He doesn't seem to have changed their approach from last season. So it just no. seems to keep working for them, um, and it, it feels a little bit more sustainable in a way than what we've got. Not saying that we haven't got a good setup, but if you think of the players that we're probably going to lose if we do stay up this season, or if, or even if we go down, you can't pick. I know, I know Sheffield United fans kind of get the, they get their backs up when you say they're not fashionable, but the players aren't fashionable. I don't think you could pick that many from that team that is going to get poached by the big boys. And likewise with Wilder, I don't think he would. I think you can draw a lot of parallels with the Norwich City team under Paul Lambert mm-hmm. when um, we won promotion back then. I think it's a team of football league players who are so well organised and clearly um, enjoying the ride that they're 
the momentum is unstoppable. Pin it on the dressing room, you know, football league players. Um, um, <laughs> David McGoldrick, Chris Basham, <laughs> you know, people like that. Sheffield United will rock up at Carrow Road unbeaten away from home, um, having not lost to Norwich in either game last season. And it's, it'll be a really great atmosphere. I think that a little a little rivalry has developed mm. between the managers who have a lot of respect for each other after their initial kind of uh, relationship where I think it was a game at Bramall Lane when um, the Norwich team coach arrived. Yeah, and I mean, I've heard different things. Break, yeah. I mean, whether they actually like each other as much as they say oh, I don't okay. know it could be okay. could be either way what I don't di- know I don't know is I was going to say what different things have you heard yeah. well you know they, you know, I, they probably still I think to <laughs> desperately get one over on each <laughs> other yeah of course they do but there's a grudging respect there I think yeah for the grudging way. respect yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah whereas you know no one said the word grudging last season did no. they until the awards started getting dished out <laughs> um, right uh, if you subscribe to The Athletic then keep yourself free on Wednesday night at 9.30pm very precise for our post-match Q&A that takes place after every Norwich City game in fact our two hours after kickoff uh, that will be on the website and the app I will be jumping into that from the mix zone or press conference wherever I will particularly be uh, and uh, I might see if these guys fancy getting involved in that in the future if they're you know, literally bored nothing else to do um, and if you're not a subscriber then a reminder that you can get 40% off if you visit theathletic.com uh, and use the code UKPOD now, very briefly, because we, we've uh, we've done a really good job on everything else so far, but um, Thursday was of last week was uh, that most wonderful time of the year, Norwich City's annual general meeting. Uh, you can read my full considered review and uh, read the thoughts of the club's three executive committee members. Uh, that's all on, over at The Athletic. Um, and as a special on-the-ball treat, I thought that it would be nice um, for you to hear a little uh, what of what two of them had to say right now. So uh, this is uh, Ben Kensel, Norwich Chief Operating Officer, of course. Uh, but first of all, uh, Norwich's Sporting Director, Stuart Webber. You've changed this a lot, haven't you, the AGM? In the last few years, the atmosphere is quite different. Yeah, I mean, I can only talk about this is my third. Um, and I remember the first one felt like an interrogation. It felt like um, we weren't connecting with the people in the room. It felt like we were on some pedestal to be sort of egg-chucked at us. Um, and I think, you know, credit to the board. That they've sort of recognised that we've got to be a bit more open, a bit more relaxed about it all. Um, and yeah, and then I think you come tonight, like tonight, where, listen, we've got some formal business of course we have that's why that's why it's on but also it's an opportunity to share some of the great work which has happened which isn't always obvious um you know share our story and share some of our plans and not be embarrassed about what our plans are rather than i think football we all have that disease sometimes of trying to keep things so close to us and then that breeds distrust and then of course fans when they don't know what's going on that's when they probably have the biggest moments because then they start guessing as you look ahead you know, the, let's be realistic. The club could quite easily be relegated this year. That's not being defeated. It's obviously one of two possibilities. Would that have been a, f- a fearful experience in past years and maybe it doesn't carry that fear this year? Is that a way of putting it? What it certainly doesn't do is it doesn't concern me that it will mean that we deviate from the plan. And quite frankly, that's... When, when you said earlier, um, what am I proud about um, and what, what Misha Stewart and Zoe and the board should be proud of, is the plan that we have in place, um, for me, means financial stability and a really fantastic health check for this club for many, many years to come. Um, and a lot of hard work has gone into delivering that. So we want to be a Premier League club. We want to be a top 26 club. But equally at the same time, we have no divine right on the money that we spent to date um, or on the 1st of February either. Um, so if we do drop down, what we need to be is we need to be in a better place to then go back up. And uh, I think we will be as a result of some of the things that we've done. There we go. Uh, ben, did you enjoy the AGM while you were uh, working at the club? Was it a fun event? Um, 
I don't think I went to one actually. Oh, That's a really bad answer, isn't it? No, no, it's good. It's good. I've yeah. I've been to lots of them now. I've yeah. probably to probably about ten or twelve. Mm. Ever heard it held any eggs in any of them? Or? No, no, no. I, I I'm I'm just an observer in those. It's for everyone else to ask the questions at the AGM, which is which is kind of fun because <laughs> most of the time people do complain they. <laughs> that the hard questions aren't always asked. So. <laughs> no, I think I think in my era it was more of a um, restriction exercise on you know letting as little information out as possible. Whereas <laughs> now in this new era of transparency and ambition with prudence, sorry, sound like Neil Doncaster, Ooh. but I've yeah. heard that one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and one very final final thing to mention: the FA Cup. We know Norwich are headed to Preston in the third round. The draw was earlier this evening. Alec Neal's club. Of course, uh, so it'll be a nice reunion. I mean, Norwich have played played his Preston side a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, they were the last team to beat Norwich in the Championship last season before uh, the Canaries stormed to the title. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in February that was. I was going to try and get a word with Alec Neil, but I've probably scuppered that now, hasn't it? So never mind. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to try and book it some some other time. But uh, I'll be there at North End, uh, at Deepdale. where else would I be? Can't wait. What a, what, a, what a place to turn my first weekend in January. It'll be lovely. Uh, it'll be nice to see Alec again as well, of course. Uh, right. Uh, we are done then with OTB2, as I'm naming it. Uh, this podcast is freely available, so make sure you subscribe with your podcast player of choice on either Apple or Android. And if you want to get in touch with us, just sling me a tweet or direct message on Twitter at Michael J. Bailey. Uh, thank you, Steve. Happy with your debut. Uh, yeah, yeah, but... Yeah, but then so is Ricky Van Wolfswinkle. So we'll see. Wow. We'll see where it goes from there. That's a strong answer. <laughs> uh, we, you, you will be back. Don't worry. Um, oh, thanks. Hopefully it's better than Ricky at Hull. Um, <laughs> ben, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Michael. Do it again, again? Yeah, I'm just taking it one pot at a time. That's fine. Well, you know, if you need a rest, just let us know. Uh, thanks to Hodgie, of course, with his Hodge spot. Uh, and uh, finally, a big thanks to you all uh, for your time and your ears. We'll be back next week for edition three of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, never mind the danger. Hold up. 